Welcome to Memphis Metropolis on WYXR 91.7 FM. I'm your host, Emily Trenum. Memphis Metropolis is all about our city as an urban place, including its neighborhoods, buildings, pathways, and parks, as well as the people who shape it. Join us each week as community leaders and commentators talk with me about our shared built environment. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Memphis Metropolis on WYXR 91.7 FM. And today we're doing, I feel like I've frequently done shows about Summer Avenue um, because I love Summer Avenue and I'm always looking to do a show on it. So hopefully some of you in the audience um, share that Summer Avenue love with me. And so today um, my guests are... Braden Carson, who's with the Division of Planning and Development for Memphis and Shelby County, and Megan Medford, who's with the, representing the Summer Avenue Merchants Association, but is also CEO of Megan Roofing, which is located on Summer. So welcome, both of you. Thank you for having us. Thank you, Emily. So today we're going to talk about um, a corridor study that's being done for Summer Avenue. And so the... Um, The Division of Planning and Development recently received a grant from the state. Uh, It's called an urban, I think it's called an urban transportation grant. And essentially, it's going to be developing a complete streets plan for Summer Avenue. So I guess, Brayden, I'll kick off with you. um, And first of all, just to to sort of define for the audience, um, what is a complete streets plan? Sure. So um, a complete street is essentially just a street that's designed for everyone who uses that road, regardless of their uh, their age or abilities or travel mode, etc. It's it's just a road that's designed for everyone, not just say an automobile driver. Um, and we, you know, we identified this Summer Avenue as um, an ideal corridor for further study back when we were developing the Memphis 3.0 Comprehensive Plan. Um, we knew that this street was an important street and had a lot of um, has some issues, but it has a lot of potential. And so this grant just seemed to be kind of a perfect opportunity to um, to do this further study with this help with TDOT. So maybe this is a dumb question, but I'm going to ask it anyway. So the purpose of the plan is to develop recommendations to make summer more complete. Is that right? Yeah, basically. Yeah, that's right. So it'll better serve. I mean, you know, Summer Avenue does, it's not particularly bike friendly. It's got some pedestrian issues. So, um, so presumably that's, that's the goal. Right. Yeah. The goal is safety for all users. Um, right now it's, it's just not really a safe street for pedestrians or people on bicycles or people waiting at a bus stop. And so that's the, the, the idea behind this study and with other things too, but it kind of all starts with safety. So Megan, did you know that this was the the, um, the division of planning development was pursuing this grant, or was it just sort of happy news once you heard it? It was happy news when I heard it. I got an email asking to be on the advisory committee, and then like a you know email saying we got this grant money, and it was like oh you know all the hard work has been paying off, and it was very 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 exciting news. So. So talk a little, I mean, Braden, you sort of touched on this, but Megan, like, it seems to me like the timing of this couldn't be better. So just elaborate on that a little bit. Um, What's happening on summer that makes it just a really great time to be doing this study? Well, we have a lot of momentum on summer. I don't know if you've seen all the construction sites and the development going on. Um, There is, uh, we actually, when we first started, I don't know if you're Jimmy Ogle and I, we, we kept an inventory of all like of all the properties that were blighted and everything like that. And to see the reduction in blight um, as to how it's, we see six years, it has been quite impressive. And so um, if you just drive down summer and you see the construction that's going on that right there, just this shows the momentum that we have. So I don't want to digress too much, but Megan, talk a little bit of just, I mean, I'm familiar with, um, the Merchants Association and sort of 
I mean, you're talking about some of the issues. Like, why did it get started? And and um, and I mean, you've had a lot of um, a lot of successes. Yeah. Um, well, we actually started. I was sitting with a few uh, business owners over at Mortimer's, which is um, one of the members. And we're all just kind of talking about some of the issues that were going on, um, be it so blight or, or certain things like that. And um, it just so happened that uh, Jim Strickland was our city councilman and Heidi Schaefer was our county commissioner at the time. So I reached out to them and I called them and I said, hey, what can we do about this? And, you know, what do we need to do? And they both suggested that we started a, an association just so that we have a louder voice um, and so that we can, you know, have a united front to combat some of these issues that we were having at the time. Well, it's really, I've, you've had a lot of success, as you mentioned, eradicating blight, but also, you know, encouraging, I think the blight has led to um, a lot of redevelopment, people thinking about summer in a new way. So congratulations on that Thank success. So, so what's the, what, I know it's five miles, like what's, what's the actual geography? I mean, first of all, what are the east and west points, but also I'm not even sure I know how far north and south, like does a complete streets plan sort of go a block in each direction? I should know this, but I'm, I'm not sure I do. <laughs> Well, yeah, so for this, it's um, we are from going from East Parkway uh, all the way down Summer to the interstate. So it's about a five and a half mile stretch. And in terms of north-south, I think we're still kind of narrowing that down exactly what that's going to mean for this plan. But essentially right now, we're pretty much just looking at the properties that are fronting Summer Avenue. Um, but, you know, down we may, we may look at some of these north-south kind of connectors that are going, you know, intersecting through Summer as well. But uh, that's you know kind of yet to be determined right now. So the um, so just Braden, drill down a little bit about the um, with a with the complete streets plan. Like, what are some of the issues you're looking to address? We talked about safety, but there's I'm sure there's others. Yeah. So I, yeah, safety is probably number one. I mean, there's there's been some you know pedestrian crashes, fatalities, uh, some bike incidents as well, where motor vehicles are crashing into bicyclists and pedestrians. Um, we also think we want to look at the transit situation as well and possibly looking at locations of our transit stops and where we can improve trans, uh, bus shelters and you know providing that shelter for transit riders as well. That's a pretty, pretty important transit line. I believe that is the 53 route. So it's you know providing that uh, refuge for people using the transit systems as well, um, improving crosswalks um, and sidewalks as well. There's a lot of curb cuts, so access management, uh, that might be your buzzword there, but <laughs> providing, you know, kind of consolidating some curb cuts and things just to make it for just a nicer, and shade trees as well, just making it for a nicer walk for people walking along the segments of summer going to their destinations. Well, I was going to ask, how much you know aesthetic elements played into that because certainly from the perspective of a you know a pedestrian you know the aesthetics of a street um and the same thing probably with bike riders you know the aesthetics of a street really play into how desirable it is um as a place to um to walk yeah and you know summer avenue it's it's a long corridor and they're the development is different depending on where you are along summer, you know, in the kind of the more Western side of summer, there's, you still have some of that um, old school buildings are up to the street. The sidewalks are a little bit wider. You can, it's, it's not like you're walking next to, well, you're not like walking next to a big parking lot and a street right next to you. It's a little bit better, but then as you go along, it, just the, the development character really changes along the whole street. So a corridor study that looks at the entire corridor, we're going to have to take that into consideration, how different the street is depending on where you are. So Megan, in terms of the merchants, of those issues that Braden talked about, um, which are the ones that um, that your members are really, um, or do they care about all of them? I mean, the safety, the aesthetics, what, what's important from the streetscape 
perspective, what's important to your members? Of course, safety is number one, as, as always. Um, um, one of the things they mentioned is, is traffic calming, um, just because there's been so many fatal accidents and speeding. And another thing that has been a hot topic is new lighting, because we have the old like amber lights at night that, that aren't very bright. So that's, that's been another hot topic amongst the merchants recently. So we're working on updating those. So how do you, and, and I know, you know, the, there's, there aren't, the plan's not final, so you don't know what the recommendations will be, but what are some options for slowing down traffic on a street like summer, which is, you know, a state highway and, um, and probably has a, first of all, it's, it's a, tr- a transportation corridor, um, but also probably has some separate requirements um, what are t- just generally some kinds of strategies you've seen, Braden? So since it is, it is a TDOT, you know, owned and maintained road, um, but they do have a, what they call a road diet analysis. So we are going to be, you know, analyzing the street and seeing if it is, you know. Okay, oh, okay. I'm bringing my jargon now. I know, I know what a road diet is, but it's, so just tell our listeners what a road diet is. Sure. So a road diet is typically for a road that is just, it's, it's overbuilt. Uh, it's overbuilt for the amount of cars that actually use it every single day. And, you know, TDOT has this set number where if you're within this range, you know, you can analyze this street to see if, you know, maybe we can trim down these lanes, add on-street parking. That'll help kind of slow the traffic. It also creates some parking opportunities for the businesses that front Summer Avenue. Um, so really that's the idea behind it is just kind of reining in these urban highways that go through our, you know, go through our neighborhoods. Of course, I love that idea. I do know, and Megan, this is maybe a question for you. The, I mean, the first, one of the first road diets here was Madison when, um, you know, the bike lanes went out of Madison. I was involved with that effort. And of course, you know, Madison had way more capacity, um, than it needed. In other words, there was, even if with the road diet, we knew there was going to be plenty of, of, of capacity for the autos, but there was, it was quite controversial with some of the businesses. And I feel like Madison kind of, people saw that it was ultimately a success for the most part. And I don't know whether people now are, um, they know what it is and they know what to expect. Or Megan, if you think that there'll be some education needed to say, look, cars are going to be slowing down. They'll see your business better. And, you know, some of the benefits of a road diet. I think there definitely is going to be some education needed. I, I know from what I've seen, a lot of people don't like change. They, they're just, you know, what they're familiar with, what they're familiar with and, and change is, is different. But um, just explaining to them that your car slowing down is good. This is a good thing because then they're going to see your business. Um, you want more traffic, you know, things like that. And then, I mean, we can, we can use Madison as an, as an example to show them like, look, look how much it's done for that area. Um, and, you know, in the end, it actually brought more business to the area. So there will be some education needed though, for sure. Definitely. Well, I would love to see it, especially on the, I don't know whether it's appropriate, you know, I'm not an engineer, so I don't know if it's appropriate for all of summer, but for sure the sections that are the, that are more urban, um, I think it makes, you know, I was a, uh, for years worked at building Memphis, which, you know, coordinated a lot of the Memphis events. And we ta- we w- went out there with a team and talked with Innovate Memphis and talked about doing one there. Um, and the rest of the team was just like, no way. Like, no, we're not doing this. The cars are going by so fast. If you stepped into the, cause you know, you need to be able to walk back and forth. And um, it was just decided right out of the gate that it wouldn't work. And I think that's one of the reasons. So I would love to see a road diet there on, on part of it. So I hope that is in one of, the, I hope that's one of the recommendations. Right. Especially at summer and national right there. That's one of the things that we're, we're kind of really wanting to do is, is maybe do some on-street parking or something because that area right there could be very walkable, just the way the buildings are laid out. So, yeah. well, that's actually, that's a a great segue because that was one of the questions I wanted to ask you because um, there's, um, you know, one of the outgrowths of the Memphis 3.0 comprehensive plan is the creation of some small area plans, um, which also falls under your department's purview, Braden. 
Um, and I don't know if you're working on the small area plan for summer and national, but I'm wondering how those two things um, will, those two planning processes and, and then the end product, the plans, how you see them aligning and working together. Sure. So, yeah. So our, our office and division, the comprehensive planning office within the division of planning development, they are leading that summer national small area plan. So it's not me directly working on that project, but it's the people who sit right next to me in the office who do. And so we, on a weekly basis, we get together, we talk about these things. And um, what is a small area plan? Just um, briefly, what does a small area plan look at? Sure. So like the master plan, the comprehensive plan, Memphis 3.0 is a very zoomed out type of plan where we're just looking at the entire city. But that doesn't really give us the granular details of a neighborhood or a neighborhood anchor. So we do these plans where we really get to you know dive deep into a specific location such as Summer National. And we get to meet with the residents and the stakeholders in that area. And, and we get to really start working on some actual implementation, some design concepts and things. Well, and I know that, um, and Megan, you and I were in a meeting last week with, you know, the Heights CDC talking about the plan and specifically about the potential creation of kind of a, you know, a plaza almost at the, you know, national, I think between summer and vaccine um, and which is the beginning of the Heights line, which is a, you know, a future um, bike and pedestrian greenway connector. So I just see all of these things just kind of coming together in a really great way. I mean, the timing is just really great. So if you're just joining us, you're listening in Memphis Metropolis and WYXR 91.7 FM. And I'm talking to Meg at Medford of the Summer Avenue Merchants Association and Braden Carson from the city's division of planning and development. And we're talking about a complete streets plan in the works for Summer Avenue. So Braden, talk a little bit about the, the planning process, um, who some of the stake- stakeholders are besides the merchants, um, you know, the timetable, um, that kind of thing. Sure. So um, we actually have our first public meeting is going to be on September the 9th. We're holding two separate virtual meetings, one at noon and one at 530. Uh, They'll both be basically the same. You don't have to come to both, but feel free to. But uh, so basically, um, you know, just to try to get more people to come into our uh, meetings there. Um, And we're working with obviously the Summer Avenue Merchants Association, the Heights CDC, um, Binghamton CDC, um, some other local folks on the ground there, uh, Latino Memphis, um, uh, and then some other kind of agency stakeholders like MATA and um, the Memphis uh, Metropolitan Planning Organization, the MPO. So um, just, just to kind of get a good mix of different people as, as stakeholders, and then hopefully we can kind of use their capacity and then really in engaging with the public and the residents around Summer Avenue and really get them engaged in this process. Um, and a timeline we are, so as you know, it's a pretty early in the process, um, but we're hoping, you know, for an early 2022 kind of completion date of this plan. So we'll be holding meetings throughout the end of this year and possibly into early next year. And I guess there will be some in-person gatherings as well. That's, we are hoping so. You know, we're still monitoring everything, but the plan is we want to get some in-person workshops happening late in the year. But, you know, as as you know, we'll have to see. Of course. So what's the strategy um, for resident engagement? I, mean, I feel like the Heights CDC does a good job. They're pretty connected with the residents in that area. But, of course, there's, you know, Berkeley and farther east. And I know you have merchant members in those areas. Um Megan, but I'm not sure there's, um, there probably are neighborhood associations, I don't know, but what's the strategy for sort of trying to get residents along the whole corridor um, in some of those neighborhoods north and south involved with the process? actually was the, um, uh, I started the Pigeon Estates Neighborhood Association, so I, I used to live over there, I have good contacts with them, and then the High Point Association, I'm also um, Cheryl, who is president with the Berkeley Association, and we've got um, Andrea, who's president of Avon Gardens, and then um, Grady, who's president of the Nutbush. So I actually n- have been working with them quite frequently. And then so I'm going to reach out to them. And also another strategy was to go to all the churches 
and try and um, maybe post some information there, um, have some, some info translated into Spanish, um, and try and reach out to that community as well. That sounds great because I can be, I mean, that sounds great. It really does. It's because it can be hard, especially in, I feel like virtual community engagement because of the pandemic on some level has made it easier for some people to participate, but it's also made it, um, there's also presented some right. challenges in terms of reaching some of these, like the Nutbush neighborhood. Right. And you might not people, even have internet. So yeah, definitely. Yeah. I think that sounds, that sounds great. So the, um, so Braden, I guess a complete streets um, plan develops recommendations and not requirements. Is that right? I, I think so. Yeah, I believe that's pretty much true. I think there are some sort of possibility of requirements in terms of the, maybe the engineering side and things like that. But it, yeah, I think really a lot of this is going to come down to recommendations, but I, I believe the, there will be some kind of physical uh, implementations as well that could come part of this, like say, for example, like a road diet, something like that to be a physical change that comes from this. Well, and what about the, um, will there be, I mean, a road diet is something that would have to be funded through traditional transportation funding, like, you know, the city or, or the state would have to apply for funding and it would have to, I mean, the, 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 that all can happen. It takes a while, but that all can happen. But what, what are some short-term, um, what are some short-term gains you see or potential changes that could come out of the plan? So I think the big one is going to be that summer national intersection that is getting Accelerate Memphis money through that Accelerate Memphis initiative. So that's going to, we're going to be seeing over the next several years some, you know, some implementations that are going to be going in funded through that initiative. And that is, that's, you know, woven into this corridor plan. That's one of our, obviously going to be one of our catalyst sites. So that's a, so that's definitely going to be seeing some things. Now, for anything else, it's probably too early in the process to know. But, you know, obviously we want to keep, keep our eyes out for more grants and things going down the road and see what we can do. Well, that's a great example because I feel like if people see that, people driving on Summer National, they see that, they're like, we need that. We need more of that. And um, and then that's easier to sort of build support. And also for elected officials to sort of say, you know, the stakeholders love what's happening Summer and National. Please give us some money to do this at, you know, Graham or Hollywood or other nodes that are identified along the way where that would really be, those same kind of changes would be desirable. Definitely. So, Megan, you mentioned lighting, and it sounds like that's part of the plan, but is the Summer Avenue Merchants Association working on a lighting initiative? Yes, I've actually been in contact with MLGNW, and we have some work orders in to um, do some updated LED lighting along the streets. Now, they they can't really give me a timeline exactly um, because they're really super short-staffed, and they got to see what kind of light poles and all this technical jargon I didn't understand. But we do have a work order in, so this is a good thing. So hopefully within the next six months to a year, maybe, we should have updated lighting along summer. So is, and will it be, it'll be new fixtures, completely new fixtures? Not exactly sure. They said that just depends on the, if, if it's a certain kind of bulb they can just screw in or if they have to change out the pole or there's a lot of uh, different technical things they have to look into before they decide what kind of lighting that they do. But I do know it's going to be LED. So because this, because the, yeah, I mean, the, <laughs> the, the appearance of the fixture is also right. important to the aesthetics of a street. I tried to get the, the nice toppers. I asked for those, but we'll see. <laughs> well, you're, you're pretty persuasive in my experience. <laughs> so, so, um, so it's possible that, um, you know, an, an outcome of the plan would be that property owners at some point would be asked to sort of make additional investments in their property. 
and, you know, not to comply with the plan, to be consistent with the plan and um, or just to help align with the goals of the plan. And I guess, Megan, you know, I know it's and maybe there's, you know, grants or incentives needed. But like, what's your take on that? Because you do have, you know, I think the merchants, I'm sure, want the street upgraded, but there are lost a lot, a lot of mom and pop organizations. And um, so what are your thoughts about that? Um, well, that's, that's kind of a tough one. We, we definitely want the street updated and everything, but we don't want to price out the mom and pops. So that's kind of a, that's, that's one of the main questions we know. How do we do this without pricing them out and how do we keep them included and, and keep the feel of, of the diversity and everything on Summer Avenue. And that, that, that's a difficult question that we're still trying to figure out the answer to right now. You know, it'd be great if there was a way to, I mean, the, you know, the development team that acquired that little commercial strip at Summer and National that's redoing that. I mean, I think they're committed to trying to continue serving community tenants. And I mean, I'm guessing the rents will go up. They probably were very cheap before those buildings are in very good condition. But, um, you know, it would be great to sort of replicate that model. So, you know, um, improvements could be made, buildings could be acquired and improved without, you know, without sort of, because you, you have seen that on, on Madison, you know, Madison and Cleveland. And, um, and I mean, I'm happy to see storefronts that were basically ab- abandoned or barely used, you know, reaching full capacity and occupancy and attractive. I'm happy to see that, but you don't want small neighborhood businesses to be priced out. Right. Definitely. Um, Brayden, so are, are, does the, um, does a complete strand streets plan um, go as far as recommending like facade improvements and that kind of thing? Cause I know that um, that's the kind of thing sometimes, you know, edge and other local economic development um, initiatives sometimes have funding for. Yeah, I think it definitely uh, does and should. I mean, the uh, a building's facade, I think, is just as much as much a part of the street as like street trees and and benches and things. Like it, it contributes to the overall aesthetic and walkability and everything of a street. So I think it's 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 very important. Okay, and 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 do you anticipate, um, you know, once the plan is done, that um, that DPD would, you know go back to the city or county to try to secure resources to do some implementation? I think that's definitely on the table. Um, Yeah, because I think, you know, when you get public investment into infrastructure, that can yield to more private investment. And that's kind of the idea behind that. And so I think we'd want to continue kind of this, the momentum of that Accelerate Memphis site at Summer National take that and expand it down summer at, at, at strategic areas, you know, located along summer and really maximize that public investment. Okay. Well, this is, so we're wrapping up, but Megan, I wanted to just to ask you if you had any, um, Braden, you talked about the, the public meeting and I want to put that in the show notes, but Megan, is there any other sort of summer Avenue news or new things on the horizon from the, news from the Merchants Association that you want to, you know, share with the audience? I know that, I don't know if the Chick-fil-A is open. Of course, everybody's talking right, about okay. that. Yes. <laughs> Chick-fil-A. And, and I'm not a Chick-fil-A person, so it doesn't mean a lot to me, but, um, but it I know it's very a popular. A lot of people, like, I, I mean, what, when people hear that there's a Chick-fil-A, it's like you finally made it. It's, it's like people are excited about Chick-fil-A. But we um, we got a Smoothie King coming. We have um, a Chipotle coming. We have, um, I'm trying to think off the top of my head, we have quite a, quite a new thing, quite a new um, development coming. So that's, it's an exciting time on Summer Avenue. And so if anyone would like to join the Merchants Association, you don't have to be a merchant. We also have Friends of Summer um, it's only $10 if you want to, you know, join that. And then our website is um, summeravenuemerchants.com. Yeah. And I will put that in the show notes for the podcast. Well, and I think those, again, I'm not necessarily a chain person, but I do feel like 
those will bring people to right. summer. Right. And like the Chipotle, those will bring people to summer. Hopefully people will drive up and down mm-hmm. and see other businesses they want to patronize. And so anything that brings more people right. and more investment to summer, even if it's something that I wouldn't personally patronize, right. I'm all for it. And where they were going was blighted before. So, I, you know, a chain over a blighted, empty building, is, I'll take it any day. So. Oh, for sure. Oh, for sure. I agree with that. So I've been talking to Braden Carson from the Division of Planning and Development and Megan Medford of the Summer Avenue Merchants Association. We've been talking about a complete streets plan that's in the works for Summer Avenue. If you're interested in learning more, look at the show notes for the podcast. I'll put in the date of the public meeting. And you can also, and also as well, the the link for Summer Avenue Merchants Association and for the Division of Planning Development. So you can sign up for email updates, probably from both entities. So, and if you haven't been to summer lately, get over there, eat some great food and enjoy it because it's shop at some great stores. Exactly. It's just a great, it's a great place. It's one of the most interesting streets in Memphis. It is. It really is. All right. Well, thank you both for coming on. Thank you so much for having us. Thank you. You're listening to Memphis Metropolis on WYXR 91.7 FM. Have you checked out any of WYXR's other shows? You can see the whole program guide on our website at WYXR.org. And while you're there, please consider making a donation. We're a brand new station lifting up everything Memphis, and we need your support. But don't go away. Stay tuned for the rest of the show. Welcome to the second half of Memphis Metropolis, everybody. I'm the host, Emily Trenum, and I'm welcoming back one of our regular correspondents, Austin Harrison, who's a local community development consultant and also is working on his PhD at Georgia State. So, um, Austin, I was thinking after the last show that I, I... I just need to change this to the Summer Avenue show and (laughs) just have every, I mean, you could do a whole show on that, you know, profile the different restaurants. And I mean, maybe you'd run out of steam after a few months, but for sure you could do some stuff there. So, um, so I know you've had a chance to listen to the first half of the show um, about the complete streets plan. And that was with Braden, uh, Carson of the Division of Planning and Development and Megan Medford of Medford of uh, Sem- Summer Avenue Merchants Association. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I'll, but of course, I've been reflecting on summer as I frequently do. And, you know, I'm a member of one of the things I've done on Facebook is I've joined a bunch of sort of Facebook nostalgia groups you where, go. you know, pages where people that might be, you know, Summer Avenue, 1950s mm-hmm. to 1980s. And I'm a member of a couple on Summer, a couple in Whitehaven. And, and, and of course, a lot of the theme of those is, wasn't it great back in the day? Yeah. And I'm always thinking the parentheses, silent parentheses, when everybody was white. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not calling any of them out because no, um, I don't mean to paint a broad brush, but people do have this idyllic view of, yeah. um, of past decades. But at the same time, and I, the reason I, I like those pages is because I'm really into old photos, old postcards, you know, the, really the imagery. I enjoy hearing the stories, but really the imagery. Mm-hmm. But um, but the stories are just full of, you know, how people lived on Summer Avenue, people who lived in Berkeley Highland Heights. And, you know, Summer Avenue was their entire world. Mm-hmm. You know, they went to school, maybe at Treadwell, and they, you know, they hung out at you know, the skating ring. And they all, mm-hmm. and then after that, they all drove to the same, you know, um, burger joint. And their, you know, their mom worked at so-and-so and Mr. Brown had a cookie store at this intersection. And, and there's just all, you know, like I said, that, and of course, that's how, this isn't unique to Summer Avenue at all. That's mm-hmm. how people lived mm-hmm. um, at one time. But, but, you know, Summer Avenue, you know, changed, and of course, it still has grocery stores, convenience stores, uh, but it really changed uh, with the neighborhood and became a lot of blighted properties, a lot of, mm-hmm. you know, used car lots. And, 
And of course, we, we the society also became a lot more mobile. People felt, you know, get in the car to go three quarters of a mile now. Yeah. But um, but with the you know with the redevelopment of summer that's coming, and of course the com- a complete streets plan is you know part of part of it, yeah. part of guiding that. It just got me wondering: um, could summer sort of become that again for the people that live in that community now? Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think it's interesting because you hit the nail on the head. Um, Summer Avenue is, is indicative of so many corridors and neighborhoods, you know, you know, Park Avenue and Orange Mound or Macklemore and Soulsville, you know, you have these strong corridors when the neighborhoods were at their height and we had a lot more denser, um, you know, not just development, but population wise, we were more in in the urban core and, and and you, you hear folks talk about, you know, 20 minute, neighborhoods or 50 you can get anywhere walking or biking within you know 10 15 minutes 20 minutes um and and so much of that like you said was just was just the way way it started but i I think i think what is going on in summer with the complete streets and and also you know broader i think as memphis is beginning to seek to sort of correct its its sprawling nature and its you know car dependency and and you know, 3.0 and others are, are bringing us back to the core of the city. Um, I think you see an example of how the businesses that did stay when when all you know when the white flight occurred and the good old days were over and we all went out to you know Carterville and Germantown and Bartlett, the folks that made a commitment like Medford Roofing, like the Summer Avenue Merchants Association, um, were able to say, "Hey, we 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 didn't go anywhere, right?" Like we're, Bri- we're, Bryan's. I mean, yeah. there's there's a there's quite Bryan's, a few, yeah. there's yeah, quite so a few legacy uh, quite a few legacy businesses along there. Yep, yeah, that that didn't leave, and 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 still were able to maintain, um, you know, their their customer base, their consumer base, and and were able to to grow, and and, and I think it 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 really was the foundation of what is going to get built back, right? As I mean, Summer Avenue of 10, 15 years from now. When all of this momentum and all of these plans and ideas have really come to fruition, um, I think we'll look back and see that it's it's cyclical in a lot, lot of ways. And these legacy businesses that made the decision not to leave or made the decision to locate to some revenue when very few people were and, and make a commitment to this community, seeing what it could be and, and, and recognizing that history, I think is a starting point. If you, if you have people... You know, a lot of times we dismiss places and write them off and there's no there there and there's, you know, there's nothing really going on. It's not vibrant. But anywhere in Memphis and really anywhere in urban America, there are, you know, those legacy businesses and constituents that that made a commitment to that place and, and are in our, in our the first chapter to whatever that new story is going to be for summer. Well, I think that's true about summer. I mean, I've lived in Memphis for, I guess, I don't even like to think about how long I've been here, um, <laughs> but I've been at I've been, I, I was a huge fan of summer. I mean, it's not just since I've been in community development. I was a huge fan of summer right out of the gate. And I moved here in the 90s. And I would tell people how much I love summer. And they would be like, really? Why? <laughs> <laughs> I just think it's so cool. It's, you can buy, you, you can get any. And of course, I like, you know, um, international restaurants. I like thrift stores. I mean, um, and I like, you know, the big lot stores. I like the kinds of businesses that are on summer and patronize those kind of businesses. But it just has great signs. Um, it's just a, a very interesting streetscape. So I've always really liked it. Um, but the but do you think, um, talk a little bit about how, you know, the demographics in that neighborhood have changed so much. Yeah. And so what would the 20-minute neighborhood you know, what's that going to look like or what does that look like? Yeah, that's that's the other really interesting thing. And I think, you know, if, if we did the show on Summer Avenue, this could be four or five episodes just by itself. But but looking at, you know, yesterday, the big news of the 2020 census is America as a country is, is changing and the white population is declining, you know, for the first time in, in its history, you know, in, in our country's history. And, and you look at Summer Avenue and, and you think about Memphis, who traditionally has been this sort of black, white binary you know, it's it's a majority black city, and uh, and 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 that's that's the extent. But now, you know, Summer Avenue, and especially the the you know the, the Mitchell Heights and the and the the, um, the Heights area around Treadwell, and that's the fastest growing, you know, Latinx uh, demographic neighborhood in the city. And I think it's beginning to show us what a more you know diverse global Memphis looks like. And and you have a corridor like that where the twenty minute neighborhood becomes what 
the residents there are making it, right? Much like those legacy constituents and, and the, the immigrant communities that have come into that neighborhood and have really been the main, you know, catalyst for that population growth, for the demand for those businesses that are there, you know, that, that, that um, relationship between the housing and the residential and who's living there in, in the corridor. And now they're beginning to almost make Summer Avenue their own. And, and it's, and it's a reflection of the, that, that residential change, that demographic change that, that is going to make, you know, the, the Summer Avenue 20 minute neighborhood of 2025 look a lot different than, you know, 1975. Right. And I think, I think that speaks to the beauty of, of sort of the way we're going about this intentional development in Memphis is we have the opportunity for community residents to, um, to make a place their own and, and to redefine what Summer Avenue means, right? And in, in, in a way that, you know, again, pushes us forward to what Memphis can be, to what America can be. I don't want to get too, you know, big picture here, but but I think in a lot of ways, uh, Summer Avenue, I think, is going to be our first almost kind of case study in what a global corridor, a, a global community gateway type corridor looks like for for a changing neighborhood. I agree with that. And I think that's one of the things I really loved about summer initially was that I'm, you know, I moved here from New York city and really grew up in the Northeast, mm-hmm. which, um, you know, are it's a, just, um, there's a lot more people from a lot more places yeah. and, you know, you can be walking down the street at two in the morning and, you know, walk next to some people who are speaking Russian yeah. and it's just, and uh, I always found that to be very stimulating. And of course, Memphis is very much um, black and white and you have to, I mean, there's certainly, um, you know, pockets of other folks from other places, but um, and speak other languages, but, but summer was the closest to, for sure to that. And that's what I want. I also wanted to talk sort of shifting gears to community engagement and community led efforts. You know, the Summer Avenue Merchants Association has, and I, and I, I, I kind of gave, you know, kudos to Megan for, um, for their efforts. I mean, I really believe that that organization and I, and I got to tell you, I mean, there's a, it has a lot of members and a lot of them are very active, but she's really led that in a big way. And, you know, that, that all of the things that are happening in Summer Avenue, I really think they planted the seeds. They made, I mean, I wanted to talk about blight in a minute because that was their number one priority was blight eradication. And, but, but just to digress for a second, I think one of the great things about their work, the Merchants Association, is their intentionality of really celebrating, lifting up um, the international nature of the street, the mom and pop. So, because they don't want, they want it to be cleaned up and economically vibrant. They don't want it to be Germantown Parkway, even That's though of right. course they're happy to have some new chains go in. They don't want it to be Germantown Parkway or, or they recognize that they're not going to have that. So you got to work with what you have and make it great. So I salute them, but talk a little bit about, I mean, cause really blight was their thing out of yeah. the box and talk a little bit about sort of the commercial blight, how eliminating some of that can just sort of open people's eyes to economic development potential. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think the first thing, and, and this is, this will be, you know, no hot takes on this, but on, on this first piece, but I, I think recognizing, you know, the, the key importance of these corridors and these neighborhoods centers around in this car automotive, you know, kind of mindset, it's very visual. Right. And, and so it, what you see when you're driving through Summer Avenue, even if you may not live in, in those neighborhoods or you might just do it every now and then, that's going to really send a lot of signals to, to people who may want to move, invest, or even care about that community, right? And so I think what the Merchants Association did well by naming blighted properties and abandoned properties as a priority was understand that you kind of have to, you have to stabilize before you revitalize, right? We can't talk about getting the chains in, you know, 10, 15 years ago, they would have never talked about a Chipotle or a Chick-fil-A, right? It just wasn't, ha- wasn't on the table. And they knew to even get to a place where you want to have those discussions and talk about ways to capitalize on the cultural businesses and the cultural diversity of the area, you have to, you have to get, get more people to the table and you have to deconstruct some of these, um, you know, whether they're valid or not, but stigmatizations of, of that community 
And, and I think in a lot of ways, commercial abandonment um, can be as controversial or, or even, you know, I, I think from a return on investment piece, right, is, is more worth, worth time, energy and effort because the payback and, and the impact it's going to have on people who may be considering buying a house, renting a home, you know, locating a business, taking a job somewhere, right? Like that, like that's all going to change a lot if, if you're able to, to take, you know, get one or two big wins on commercial properties in a, in a key area like summer. And so I think um, making that a priority and then, you know, again, just doggedly, I mean, talk about, you know, a best practice in organizing and, and, and just, a, you know, community building was getting the Merchants Association to, to grow its membership and, and, and really put pressure on, on the local government to, uh, to, to make, to, to make some revenue as much of a priority as it was to them. And I think that's, that at, at its heart, you know, is, is what, you know, democracy in action looks like in urban planning is, is getting residents together and, and having that voice be, um, be loud enough to, to keep moving, moving the needle on, on things like, like commercial abandonment. Well, and you start thinking about places in new ways. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but I agree with you. It's, you know, let's get organized. Like that is not rocket science, but this is an example of where it worked. I mean, you do need leadership that's got the time and the commitment and the connections mm-hmm. to, um, to, to sort of unlock some of the potential, but that's a, just a, a really great example. I'd love to see other, other, you know, commercial streets of its, uh, uh, you know, of the similar to summer get organized in the same way because, um, you know, too often, I mean, I think residential and commercial property owners, you know, and I've been guilty of this myself. It's like government should dot, 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 dot. And um, that's just not how it works. I mean, it's the old proverbial spreading, you know, a teaspoon of peanut butter on a, on the state of Tennessee. I mean, it's not going to work. <laughs> yeah. you know, the, the, in this case, the private sector, but also they've got incredible, you know, nonprofit partners like the Heights CDC, but, mm-hmm. you know, s- said, you know, I mean, took it upon themselves to identify priorities, but also said, look, we're doing all of this. Now you need to invest. And then sometimes it just, um, you know, you're able in- to intentionally get, get government things, but also sometimes it just sort of, like, I think I asked Megan early on if, you know, they knew, if the Merchant Association knew about the Complete Streets Grant, and she said no. I mean, but I got to tell you, like 10 years ago, that wouldn't have been, I mean, I don't think. Yeah. You know, yeah, there's a lot. On the table. Yes. I mean, you know, this the Division of Planning and Development, they are probably applying for one of those grants a year. And you got to pick a street. And, um, and you're picking one where there's a lot of opportunity, there's a lot of momentum. So, and, and, I, and I obviously wasn't, you know, no, don't work with Braden and that team. So I wasn't in the room when the decision was made, but I, I got to think that I know in, in this, you know, when you have a 325 square mile city like Memphis, I know, especially under the current administration, they've been more strategic and, and a lot of the thinking behind Memphis 3.0 is investing dollars where the private sector is going to work with you. Right. And so I think, whether whether it was explicit or or implicit, I think the Merchants Association being there was even even now in, in sort of this you know being strategic with the limited resources we have to make the biggest buck. You know we want the public and private sectors to work together, and so having the private sectors uh, have that organization association have all the businesses in that area at the table, I think m- makes it even easier for the government to say yeah we'll we'll spend some money here we'll spend some money on the complete streets because we know that there are these group of businesses and these group of, of small business owners that are, are going to, you know, take that and run with it. Right. And I, and I think that's, that's the reality is when we, when you only have two tablespoons of peanut butter, you have to be really mindful about where you put it. And even though you may want to put it on the whole toast, sometimes it makes sense to, to target it a little because you know that, that, you know, I don't know where this analogy goes from here, but it's going to get you more jelly. Maybe. I don't know, but whatever, whatever the, you, know, you were already you're... more generous with your peanut butter than I was. So. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so if so. you're just joining us, you're listening to Memphis Metropolis and WYXR 91.7 FM. And we're, I'm talking to Austin Harrison. Uh, we're, t- we're still talking about Summer Avenue um, and about the oh, complete yeah. streets plan. And then some of the interesting tangents that have come off of that. So, um, so speaking of that, Austin, um, these kind of, um, you know, these kind of corridor studies are, you know, 
course, recommendations. But talk a little bit about, first of all, you know, there's a huge diversity of neighborhoods along there. I'm not the international, I'm really thinking about income wise mm-hmm. and, the, and the condition of the neighborhood. There's a, there's a huge diversity of that. Talk a little bit about that to the extent that you know, but also um, you are kind of a housing expert and how did these, could these kinds of changes, you know, safer, uh, you know, pedestrian safety, you know, more attractive corridors affect housing markets. I know there's a, you know, a concern, going to be a concern about gentrification at some point. That's like seven questions. Yeah. So I'm sorry, but um, you, you know, that's how I roll. I love it. No, and, and they're all, they all interweave. So I'll, I'll, I'll answer them, you know, all, all throughout here. But I think the first place to start um, is to kind of orient folks you know, with the, is, I mean, Braden did a good job of, of, of touching it in the conversation, so I won't, I won't repeat it too much. But when you think about, you know, the most Western part of summer, like right on the other side of East Parkway, kind of in between there and Holmes, right? Even before you really get to the national um, area, you know, the, I think that area in a lot of ways um, out of the entire street. And this is one of the other beauties of, of investing in a complete streets and a corridors program is it, it creates us to, I mean, what, what other world would we be talking about that neighborhood and Avon Acres and, and High Point and, you know, East Memphis and, I mean, almost South of Bartlett, right? I mean, it, it, Summer Avenue and, and this corridor plan will will tie those neighborhoods' fortunes together That's in a meaningful way. Um, and, and I think it, it, it creates, a, in my opinion, a, a pretty fun challenge, you know, if, if, I'm, if I'm sitting in uh, DPD's shoes because you, you get to think about how in a lot of ways, the rising tide actually has a chance to lift all boats. We say that a lot. It's a great saying. But in this case, you know, if, if, if Holmes in, in summer wind, so does, you know, Avon Acres, right? And so does East Memphis. And, and, and I think it, it allows us to, because otherwise, you know, if you're just looking from a housing perspective and just looking from a market perspective, it's hard to group those in the same category because you have, you know, a, a wider, more affluent, higher property values, you know, out east, and then uh, far more vacancy, abandonment, you know, decline in property values in, in the western part of the street, even going as far to national and into uh, sort of the Highland Heights area. Um, and, and so I think it, it creates a, a place where, you know, displacement and preventing displacement becomes more legitimate because you, you have you have different if, if you're if you're understanding and leaning into the diversity that's that's happening along the street, it gives you opportunities to to solve different problems and, and make investments in a in a ripple impact where maybe, you know, that that sidewalk that gets repaired or the or the, the road diet or the recommendations that come about um, create, you know, additional benefits for, for a community that in, in many ways, um, the western part of summer especially has seen virtually no investment from, from any entity, private or public in, in, in decades. And, and so, and so I think well, there's it, been it, some, there's been some like prop seller and mm-hmm. there's been some interesting sort of spillover from broad. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it definitely out. I think as, as broad has come over and in that area, uh, I think sort of on, it's almost like, a like on the, on, if you're driving, if you're going out East, driving West on summer, it's almost like the right side, you know, to your right side of that area, in between summer and, 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 and Cooper and Poplar, uh, as opposed to, you know, what's happening maybe north of summer, right, on, on that side of the street. And so, but, but either way, I, I think going, going back to your question, I think if, if with this complete streets investment, and you mentioned the, the potential opportunities, um, or Braden mentioned the potential opportunities to tie in the national and, and summer work, right? I mean, if you think of that as almost kind of like a blueprint for, for what could possibly be done further west and, and doing the, you know, the, the work that the Heights CDC has been doing around, you know, targeting white remediation and community gardens and, and, you know, taking vacant lots and repurposing them. It, it gives, it gives that a, a, an attention to, to, to a community that maybe hasn't, hasn't seen that kind of, uh, kind of attention in a while. Well, how important is it to, you know, I asked Megan about community engagement and, you know, tried how, how, and of course she's not in charge of community engagement. Um, I don't mean to put that on her at all, but there's a huge range of um, different kinds of residents, different income levels, you know, different, you know, languages, nationalities issue. And I were talking earlier and, you know, how important is it to, I guess, whose voices are more 
whose needs are more important? Is it, you know, serving the people who are currently there or is it making summer more attractive for, I mean, we, we talked, Megan and I talked about um, how I thought it was great that Chipotle Chick-fil-A were coming to summer because they were, um, they would bring other people to summer who could appreciate patronize the other businesses. And I really believe that, but I, I was, um, you know, attended sort of a focus group recently that the Heights CDC put together about that, about a sort of a little plaza that's being planned for uh, national for the termin for the terminus of the um, of the Heights line, and just people talking about what um, you know what they would like in the area. But there was a there was there was ideas about attracting people, you know, coffee shops, mm. you know, more restaurants, stuff like that. And, um, and, you know, but, but other people, uh, it, and I wouldn't say people disagreed, but people talked about things that, you know, people in the neighborhood could use, like a place where, you know, musicians in the neighborhood could pluck and play, or, you know, splash pad where people could, and I just w- was thinking that over in my mind, it does relate to the complete streets and the 3.0 planning, is finding that balance between, attracting people to the neighborhood, but really providing what people that are in the neighborhood want. And, and I would even take that a step further, because I think the answer to that question, before you answer that question, you have to answer, you know, an even bigger existential question, in my opinion, which is what, what is a successful city look like, right? Is Memphis going to be successful when it is attracting um, folks to move from San Francisco and, and New York? And, you know, is, is that is that going to be successful for us? Or are we going to measure and also, is are we going to be successful on how we're um, catering and, and and you know providing services for the middle class and the upper class? Or are we going to measure our success on how we're you know how we're supporting our our low working class and low income families? Right? Like what? It's not to say you can't do both, but again, with limited public resources, right? You're going to have to. There's going to be trade offs. You have to make decisions. And to me, I think in a lot of ways, your answer to are we going to attract new re- residents versus are we going to you know support and and, and wrap around legacy residents, um, I think is, 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 you know, part and parcel and, and with that larger, bigger city question. I mean, I, I think lo- most cities in America have chosen to, to make investments to support the affluent and the, you know, the middle class and higher. And, and, the, and to different extents, most cities have not chosen the, the working class, you know, prioritization. And so to me, I think it's interesting because again, in this Summer Avenue project, I think asking that question in the context of where that you want those different neighborhoods to go, where you have kind of, you know, like we said, all income brackets, all uh, cultures, races, and ages, and and different different family types, and and I think in a lot of ways answering that question will will show what what that means for that in- individual community and, and what and how that community is answering that question in, in its own way, and I think there's an opportunity to you know really put. Um, working families first in, in this in this op- and, and with that being said I think you know you they also may you know it's not like coffee shops are just going to be for people who are there you know and, and so well so of I, course I, I didn't mean yeah. I didn't mean to no, say no, 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 no. yeah 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 I, I wasn't saying you are but I, I just I just think it's that there's if, if, if we're if the answer to that question is you know is is that we want to support the the legacy residents then, then I think there are ways to to do that, that could also, you know, attract, um, attract new, uh, new residents as well from, from other communities. Well, and, and I think, I think the way, and I wasn't thinking so much about new residents as, as, you know, visitors, Yeah, you know, people who'd come um, from in town, people who would come Mm -hmm. to summer for Chick-fil-A. Um, but, um, I think the, I think the way to do that is to, dig in on what makes Summer Avenue special now and to preserve and cultivate it because Summer Avenue is a destination now. I mean, it's a destination for people who want to eat all different kinds of international food. It's always, it's also a definition, uh, a destination for thrift shops. I'm a big thrifter and that's a place where there's a concentration and thrift shops don't just serve me. 
I mean, they serve people who live in the neighborhood shop. I mean, a lot of people right. like to buy, like to patronize secondhand clothing stores for a variety, especially now everyone's very conscious about, you know, fast, casual fashion and its impact on the environment. But I'm just saying, but if, if, it, if, if summer gets too spiffed up, then those businesses are going to have to go yeah. away. So how do you find the balance? That's, and, that's right. Now, and, 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 and y'all did a great job of, of touching on this, I think, in the conversation, because I, I think that's, and, and, that, and going back to the Merchant Association, right? I think that's the beauty of having that kind of be the driving voice and the driving organization behind this is there, you know, I mean, and Megan mentioned in y'all's conversation, you know, that, that that's on their mind too. I mean, how, how, how as a merchant association do we look out for the, those legacy businesses that didn't leave those ones who are the foundation of, of what, what it's becoming. And, and, and you see so often that the, the businesses that stay around and are the foundation for the new age don't get to enjoy it as much because of that, you know, being priced out piece. So okay. I think that's a really important question. Yeah. And, and, and strategies for retaining and, and supporting those businesses. If that, that becomes a priority and that, and that is a driving force behind the recommendation. I think, I think that can definitely change things for sure. Okay. Well, once again, we're out of time. <laughs> so we, we got to do it. Some, summer Avenue podcast. Let, let's, let's run exactly. it. So um, I've been talking to Austin Harrison, a local community development consultant and a newly minted Rhodes college professor. <laughs> so, uh, so Austin, thank you so much for joining me on Memphis Metropolis. Thank you for having me. I always enjoy it. You've been listening to Memphis Metropolis on WYXR 91.7 FM. I'm Emily Trenum. Memphis Metropolis airs every Monday at 1, so please tune in again next week. You can listen to past programs on our program page at wyxr.org or on memphismetropolis.com. You can also follow us and send feedback on social media. Now, stay tuned for Memphis Undercover with Nancy.